Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us at the Doctor for the Dr. Bill Telephone Education Series tonight. Uh, it's my privilege to introduce Dr. Bill Fikeshita, who is the Chief of Optometric Services and Coordinator of Children's Program for the Center for the Partially Sighted, as well as being our Director of Low Vision Training uh, for Braille Institute. And we're partnering to bring you this program tonight, and our topic will be how to read an eye report. The telephone uh, lecture is being recorded and will be available as a podcast on the Braille Institute website under Children's Services and at Airs LA um, website under Braille uh, Institute Programs. And we'll have more information for you that later in the evening about how to access the podcast. But thanks so much again for joining us. And again, it's my privilege to introduce Dr. Bill. Uh, thank you very much, Sue. Thank you very much. And sure. uh, Mr. Burden, also want to thank you and Airs LA for doing such great jobs in recording these programs for us so that people from all over the world could listen to these at, at their pleasure. Uh, tonight I'm going to go ahead and talk about something that we often receive many, many questions on, and that is how to interpret or how to read a medical eye report. And that is something that is really a very, very challenging task to do. I know that many times teachers of the visually impaired or we see that there's therapists, they will read a report and they try to interpret all of that data and it really is almost impossible to interpret all of that data. The reason for that is that many doctors, they abbreviate so much that it's very difficult to understand what tests they were actually performing. Also, as you may know, that many, many eye doctors have very, very sloppy handwriting, and that makes it very difficult. So fortunately, many eye care professionals do dictate reports, and with these dictated reports, we get a better understanding of what they found during that examination. So tonight, we're going to go ahead and go over the basic aspects of an eye medical report, and we're also going to discuss some of the most common types of tests that the eye doctors will perform on children. Now, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to talk about the differences between a chart note and a report. Now, the chart note, this is a piece of paper where the doctor is going to record his or her findings. Many doctors, they simply will use a blank piece of paper. The blank piece of paper, sometimes it's easier for them to record all the data that they want to as compared to using different types of forms that are already made up. Now, when doctors are going to record their chart notes, the chart notes almost always are organized in the same way. On the top, of the chart, it generally will have the patient's name, the date of birth of the patient, and the date of the service. Many times that is going to be abbreviated DOS for the date of service. This information is always on the chart because that is what the insurance companies will look at when they audit the chart. If the insurance company has concerns as to whether or not they need to pay this bill or whether the doctor did perform sufficient amounts of testing, they will often request 
a copy of the chart note, and that will be the information that they'll look at. Now, the chart note itself is usually going to be separated into four sections, and we call this the SOAP format, S-O-A-P format. And one of the ways that you could immediately identify if the I report the chart note is in the SOAP format is if you look at the left margin, it may then start with the letter S. And next to the letter S, you may then see something that says CC, semicolon, or CC colon. So the S stands for subjective. What are the subjective complaints that the patient or the parents came in with? The reason that this is something that's very important for the doctors to record is that if there are no entering complaints, let's say that the parent said, we're here just for a well check. We're here because we heard we should come in. If it has any kind of comments where the insurance company does not see that there was a complaint, such as the child's eye is red, the child's eye crosses, the child bumps into things. If there's no complaint, then many insurance companies will not have to pay for that evaluation. So when we look at major medical, many major medical insurance companies, they will not pay for well care visits. They only pay for problem-based visits. As a result, the doctors usually will start in the subjective area with a CC, chief complaint. And it might be where the parents say, uh, eyes shake, eyes cross, eyes turn outward, sensitive to the light, there may be something that relates to the chief complaint. Next to that, there will often be a section that will talk about past medical history, and that will just be abbreviated PMH. So with children, we really want to know their birth history because that's often the main predictor that there may be vision problems of a child. So it might talk about the gestation. And so if the parents say full term, they might just put FT for a full term pregnancy. If it then says 26 weeks, that would be an indication that the baby was born prematurely. The baby was born after 26 weeks. The thing to look for that you would want to look for is if the baby was born before 32 weeks gestation, then that child may be at risk of having vision problems. So if it is before 32 weeks, that child may have what's called retinopathy of prematurity, or that child may also have cortical vision impairment, CVI. Then Below there, under the subjective, they may then talk about developmental milestones. So we want to find out, 
did the child develop pretty much on schedule? Child sat alone by six months, crawled by nine months, began to walk at 12 months. The doctor may record that type of information to give you an understanding if the development was normal or advanced or delayed. If it is significantly delayed, the doctors often think that there may be a vision problem because children with vision problems are much more likely to experience delays in reaching the developmental milestones. There will also be notations perhaps about speech. Did the child begin to talk at about two years of age? We experience so many children with autism that many doctors, regardless of their specialty, are looking for signs that may suggest are there speech delays or autism. And then there may be other comments. It may There may be comments where they may say, you know, child is having difficulties with reading. Child is having difficulty stacking blocks. Child is afraid of the night. Child turns the head towards the left or the right shoulder when watching TV. So in that subjective section is basically where you could find the data as to what concerns do the parents have. Okay, now the next section is going to have objective data, and that's going to be the O portion of the SOAP, S-O-A-P. So the objective data is going to be the data that the doctor measures based on his or her observations and his or her tests. With the children, we don't really depend on whether or not the child can or cannot speak aloud. So one of the first tests that will be seen in the O section, the objective data, is going to be the pupils. And that's basically where we will look at the size and shape and the reaction of the pupils. If it says normal, that would be a good finding. But many times it won't say normal. The doctors will write some medical jargon and they will write E-R-R-L-A. So if it says pupils and then it's E-R-R-L-A, that means the pupils are equal in size. R means that they're round pupils. The second R is that they respond to light. And the A is they respond to what's called accommodation, focusing. So in the pupil section, if the doctor writes E-R-R-L-A, that's also the same thing as saying that it's normal. The next section will be E-O-M. And that stands for extraocular movements. This is the movements of the eye. Can can the muscles 
on the eyes, move the eyes normally. And very often in that section, the doctor will just write full, F-U-L-L, means that the eyes can move fully in all the directions. And then the next category in there, there may be something that says CT. And CT stands for cover test. And that measures the eye alignment. So, in that section, if the doctor writes ortho, O-R-T-H-O, means that the eyes are straight. If it is, or the doctor writes E-T, that means esotropia, E-S-O-T-R-O-P-I-A, meaning that the eyes cross. And then if it says XT, that stands for exotropia, E-X-O-T-R-O-P-I-A, which means that one or both eyes are drifting outward towards the ear. Now, one of the things just to keep in the back of your mind is that if you do see in the cover test section that it says ET or XT, just watch these children very carefully because these children will often turn their head to look. And they turn their head so that when they look at things, they will look at things only with one eye. If they keep their head straight, the brain tries to use both eyes and then they see double vision. So if we do see a child who turns the head towards either the right shoulder or the left shoulder or the child tilts the head up or down, very, very often it means that they have a binocular eye alignment problem. And that is something that we could often treat with glasses, with exercises. And if it doesn't go away within a year to two years, we may then recommend eye muscle surgery. But for the first year, the eye alignment of children changes quite a bit. So very often we, we, we will not recommend surgery too early for a child because very often the eyes will straighten up by themselves. Okay, the next section in the objective area is something that is called RET, R-E-T. And this is a test that is called retinoscopy, R-E-T-I-N-O-S-C-O-P-Y. And this is how doctors can measure whether the child needs glasses or not. So this is a test that will determine if a child is nearsighted, farsighted, or if the child has astigmatism. And it's really quite simple the way that the test works is that there's an instrument that the doctors have and it shines a beam of light into the child's eye. 
and that beam of light will focus on the retina. Now, when the doctor looks inside the child's eye with that beam of light in it, the doctor is able to see whether that beam is focused sharply on the retina or if it's focused very blurred on the retina. And if that beam is very, very blurred, the doctor will then put lenses in front of the child's eye until that beam becomes very clear, very sharp and focused. And that's the way that we could determine what kind of prescription would give that child sharper vision. So this is the way that doctors who specialize in working with children could determine a child's prescription very, very quickly, and they don't have to ask the child, you know, can you read this, or which is better, one or two, any of those things. So retinoscopy is a very, very important test. And in that section, there will be retinoscopy performed on the right eye, and then it will also be performed on the left eye. And in some cases, a doctor may decide to use eye drops. You don't always have to, but in some cases, using the eye drops could make things a little bit easier. What the eye drops do is they dilate the pupil so that it's easier for the doctor to see inside the eye. Now, the next test the doctor will perform is called visual acuity, and so that will usually be abbreviated VA, visual acuity. And this will describe what's the smallest detail that the child can see. Now, for very young children or children who are nonverbal, one of the tests that we will use is called the Teller cards, and that's spelled T-E-L-L-E-R, cards. And this is a card that's about three feet wide by about one foot tall, and it's a gray card. Now, on one section of the card, there will be stripes. And on card number one, the stripes are pretty thick. They're maybe two inches thick. And when you shine or you flash the card in front of the child, the child will reflexively look at the stripes. Then what we'll do is we'll get card number two. And card number two will have stripes that are smaller. These might only be one inch wide. And we present the stripes and we try to see whether the child can see the stripes and if the child sees the stripes, we could watch the child's eyes, and the eyes will move and look at the stripe. So we continue to go on and on until the child eventually cannot locate the stripes, and that is how we could then say what the child's visual acuity is. So the teller acuity cards could be performed for children of any age, and it's a, a very, 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 very good test, especially when we're working with kids who have Down syndrome or autism or when we even work with adults who've had head injury. Now, another type of visual acuity test is called the Leia symbols. 
L-E-A symbols. And this is where we use geometric shapes. There's a square, a circle, uh, a heart, and a triangle. And when we show the child these cards, they will point to the matching shape that is on their lap. So we, we have another uh, a board that we put on their lap, and there's a circle and a square and a triangle. And so kids could often match the shape that they see. Now, this takes a higher level of, of cognitive development. So not... Not all kids can do this, but we will often use this for kids who are three to four years of age. And then we have the Snellen Acuity chart, and this is the chart that will use numbers or letters. And this, this will require that the child can communicate and say what, what it is that they see. So in the visual acuity section, the visual acuity is usually going to be labeled or documented as 20 over some other number. And that will be for the right eye, and then it will also be documented for the left eye. Now, many pediatric doctors will also do what's called reading acuity. And that is where we will measure what the child could see at his or her reading distance. So in those cases, we may write down reading acuity, right eye. We might say 12 point from 10 inches. So that would mean that the child is able to see 12 point print from 10 inches. In the left eye, the child might be able to see four-point print from 20 inches. So we have a good understanding as to which might be the dominant eye for reading. Now, the next test that the doctors will often perform will be a peripheral vision test. And the test that is often used is called finger count. And this is where we will position ourselves about two feet away from the child and we will flash fingers in different areas of the peripheral vision. And usually when we flash fingers, the child will see that with their peripheral vision and then they will try to look at our fingers. When a child has a blind spot in the peripheral vision, you could flash your fingers or you could put a pen light there, flash it on and off, and the child just doesn't respond. So when there is a visual field problem, the doctor may just draw a diagram to show you where's the area that the child cannot see well with that eye. Now, the next test that the doctor may do is going to be color vision. And there are many different color vision books. 
I don't think that it's really that critical to know all the different books. But these are books that have a page with many, many different colored dots. And each dot is about the size of a dot that you would punch with a hole puncher. And then the dots are arranged in a way so that there'll be either numbers or letters or shapes that the child would be able to see. So, for example, page number one, it might be that there's a square and a circle. And you turn to page number two, and there might be a star and a circle. Turn it to page number three, it might be number two. So as you go through each one of these pages, you could then record whether the child is able to identify that color or not. And that's how we identify color vision problems. We know that color vision problems are much, much more common in boys than girls. And here's some really good, interesting news. You know, for years we have known that we could use a red contact lens over one eye, and that could help many children who had weak color vision to begin to see colors. But there's now some new lenses for glasses where there's a coating that goes on the lens and it helps children and adults to see colors better. So we're doing some uh, research with this. This is something that was just released and we're going to see how this works. We, we, we have tested this on some of our adult patients without telling them anything about it. And we just say, put these on and does anything look different to you? And a lot of the patients said, you know, the colors look better. So that was kind of interesting. So that that's a good bit of uh, advancement because for years we really didn't have anything to help uh, children in school with color vision problems. The next one that we test that we do is called stereo. And this is where we will put on 3D glasses on the child, let them look at some 3D pictures, and we could measure what level of depth perception that they have. Now, in order to have stereo depth perception, you have to be able to use two eyes together. So if a child has the ET, which is the esotropia, or the XT, exotropia, they very often cannot see 3D. We also see nowadays a lot of people coming into the eye doctor's offices complaining that they hate 3D movies or they had a headache after they saw the 3D movie. Those are people who do not have good binocular vision. They're getting the headaches because the eyes are working too hard to try to position at the right angle to see the 3D. So these are people who sometimes need to do little exercises or the doctors will put prism in their glasses and that could make it much easier for them to see the 3D. Another possible cause of a person not seeing very good 3D is if one eye sees a lot sharper than the other. 
if a child or an adult sees very, very clearly with the right eye, but the left eye is just, you know, so-so, the brain will primarily use the right eye and they will not get the 3D effect. So if you take a, you know, a bunch of kids to see the 3D movie and they don't see it, uh, that's probably an indication that they do need to get their eyes checked. So those are the objective tests that the doctors will usually do that are really very important for teachers and therapists. There will also be other areas where the doctor will draw pictures of the tissues of the eye and such, but um, it would be very, very difficult for you to try to interpret what those drawings mean. So, so far we've gone over the subjective, the S, the objective, which is the O, and the next section in the chart is going to be A, and A is for assessment. What is the doctor's assessment of this child's vision problem? And that is where you could usually find a diagnosis. The doctor might say, for example, myopia, hyperopia, esotropia, color blindness. Whatever is his assessment of the problem, it will be under the A section. And then the last section is going to be P, and that stands for the plan. What is the plan? What are you going to do to help this child? So that's where it will list glasses for full-time use, part-time use, eye muscle surgery, prisms. All of those types of treatments will usually be written out in that plan section. And it would also include when the patient should return. It may say RTC, return to clinic, April 2013. And then there'll be a, a doctor's signature and uh, the doctor's name uh, stamped on the bottom. Now, there's a lot of different types of abbreviations that are, are, are used for, um, you know, different types of medical notes and things like that. So if, if that is something that you would like to have, uh, you could send Sue or Sue, send myself an email, and then I'll just email you that document. My email is drbillfoundation, that's D-R-B-I-L-L, foundation, at gmail.com. Okay, so at this time I'm going to ask uh, you to unmute your phones by pressing star 6 and we'll open it up to discussion or questions. I have a question, Cerny. Um, you, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> seemed really quiet on this end. <laughs> um, at, the, at the very beginning, um, you said something that we all experience and it's difficult to read the... the um, I medicals sometimes, and but you also said that many of them are also um, dictated. Yes, did you many, say that? Yeah. Many, many yeah. doctors will dictate the reports 
For example, at the Center for the Partially Sighted, our doctors that evaluate the children, we also will dictate a report, and it will be in paragraph form so that anybody who receives that report, they could understand the child's vision problems, what's going to be the treatment, what's the plan. So most of us as educators, I don't know of anybody that has asked for or received. Is that available outside of other doctors? Do you understand my question? Is that available to us also as educators? Oh, I, I would I would believe so, yes. Oh, so we just have to ask for it. <laughs> we just didn't know, probably, you know, right? For example, at our center, every child who comes in, uh, a, a written report is typed for that child, and multiple copies are mailed to the home of the child, and the parents are asked to give it to the teachers and the other therapist and, and, and the IEP team. Dr. Bill, but I meant was the dictated version of it available? Yes. That's also available if we asked. You know what I'm saying, the paragraphal, you know, done in paragraphs instead of just the chart itself. Yes. <clears throat> so, for example, at our center, we, we will also write a report and it will say, to whom it may concern. Mary Smith is a four-year-old girl who was seen at our center on January 12, okay. 2012. Okay. Mary was accompanied by her parents who reported okay. that Mary often bumps into walls when she walks. Okay. Okay, and then uh, next paragraph, today's examination revealed that Mary is visually impaired due to retinopathy of prematurity. Okay. So... That type of a, a written report, it is available, and the parents have them. Okay. Um, I have gotten a lot of written reports, and it's really nice um, sometimes when we can't under Like, sometimes the copy's just very poor, and then there are those times where we don't really understand, like you said, when doctors write real fast and that kind of thing. But to know that we could get the script form is nice to know also. Just good information. Yes, ask ask the parents of the children you're working with because they they have multiple copies. Okay, thank you so much for that. And if there's other times that there's a child you're working with and you may have a medical report and there's something that's hard to read or it it's it's hard to figure out what they're trying to say, uh, feel free to you know. Give me a call or send me okay. an email, and we'll okay. figure out the time, and we'll, we'll, we'll get through it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions out there on, on anything related to chart notes or medical reports? I have a question, Dr. Bell. This is Lori. Yes. Are there any um, ophthalmologists or optometrists that you know of in the Southern California area that specialize in working with, um, gosh, are more moderate to severely impaired students? I get a lot of doctor's reports back that said that the, the exam was done under restraint and 
sometimes it, it seems like what the, the results that the doctor got compared to what we're seeing at school are really different. Yeah, that that's that's mm-hmm. real real mm-hmm. real difficult. I would say that at the Center for the Partially Sighted, we perhaps see the most challenging children, but we don't we don't restrain the children and we don't put them under anesthesia. Where where are, where are you? Where is your school? I'm in Anaheim. And I just actually recently got a report back from a doctor at UCI who said that the exam had, and this is not a terribly low-functioning young man, that the exam was done under restraints and that he didn't know his alphabet. Well, he knows his alphabet perfectly. Mm. So I just, you know, kind of wonder how exactly they got the information that they did and how accurate it is. Mm. Yeah, if you uh, restrain a child, sometimes you're not going to really get the best cooperation from them. That's for sure. Uh, the, in, in the Anaheim area, the, the, the Southern California College of Optometry, they do perform evaluations on children with low vision. Okay. Is there an ophthalmologist at the Southern California College of Optometry, or is it strictly optometrists? I mean, just in, in case we have a student who's you know looking at some medical issues that may require a little bit more intensive treatment. Yes, they do. They do have ophthalmologists there uh, on staff as well. Thank you. Have I seen um, CPM? The letters CPM. Does that ring a bell? CPM. Yes. As a as a diagnosis or. No, just an abbreviation on an eye chart, and I sometimes I don't know if I'm getting it really clear, but I thought I ran into it a couple of times. So, but that's okay. That doesn't ring an immediate bell to me, but it could be used. It could be used. There may be some doctors who use those. It would be his um, letters for something. I'm not okay, but it's not a real common one, so I'm not going to worry about it. No. No. Okay. Okay. Any other questions? Um, Dr. Bill, a lot of the times the doctor's report will list maybe any medications that the child is on. Are there any pretty common medications that can significantly impact vision that we should be on the lookout for? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. You know, that's a, in some ways a difficult question. But, yes, there are different medications that can affect the child's visual behavior. Uh, there's there's medications that could make a child so tired that they don't cooperate. For example, some children who are taking phenobarbital or tegretol, they they may often be very, very lethargic. And when we try to measure their vision, these kids just really can't stay awake easily, and it creates the impression that their vision is very, very poor. So depending depending on the child's medications, very often parents will call beforehand and they will say, "Would you would you like for me to schedule the appointment at a particular time of the day or would you like for me not to administer certain medications?" 
So depending on what medications the child takes, we may schedule the appointment at a certain time so that the child won't be just too groggy. That's an excellent question. What about the um, students that are on medication for, like, glaucoma? Does that have any side effects? No. If a child is taking glaucoma medications, uh, they, they should always use those eye drops. It will give them the best vision that they could potentially have. Okay. And another thing that some doctors may do is that some doctors, if they know, if they know that, let's say, that a child is going to need to have the eyes dilated, one of the things that many doctors may do is the doctors may write you a prescription and you will then put in those eye drops in that child's eyes. The parents will put it in the child's eyes that morning. So let's say, for example, the child might be waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning, put the eye drops in at 5, and by the time that the child is at the doctor's office at 9 o'clock, the eyes are already dilated and ready to go. So it saves a lot of time. Good suggestion. <laughs> For all those families who are waiting in the waiting room, that cranky kids sometimes <laughs> difficult time waiting. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes it's we... really hard. We hear stories of kids who've been waiting six, seven hours. Oh, it's really hard on a lot of those little ones. Yeah. Let's see. Are there any other uh, questions or comments or other recommendations that some of you have that you'd like to share? Okay. Well, I'm just going to remind all of you that uh, this is being recorded by Airs LA, and you could then listen to it by going to www.airs. L-A, that's A-I-R-S-L-A dot org, or by going to www.brailleinstitute.org. And if you are interested in receiving a handout of abbreviations of different eye conditions and such, uh, go ahead and send either Sue or -hmm. myself an email. And my email is uh, drbillfoundation at gmail.com. And Sue, what email are you using now? Yeah, yeah, you can use you can send it to me at s s t r a s as in Frank a c i at grailinstitute dot org. It's it's s strafasi s t r a s as in Frank a c i at Braille institute.org and then we'll get and you we'll get you guys those uh, handouts can you do the WW airs can you do that one again give me that email again uh, the web address to mm-hmm. listen to many different podcasts on vision it's www.airs airs la.org and there's many 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 different types of podcasts there that you can listen to so how about next month Sue is there going to be another meeting next month yes there is thanks for reminding me 
next month we're going to be changing the subject a little bit, and we'll be talk, talking about talking with siblings about visual impairment. So that will be a little bit of a twist, and I, but I think it will be great. We um, actually, Dr. Bill, we have a we, we have um, guests from the Institute for Families who will be helping us next next month as well. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, we so hope we'll that all of you will be able to join in uh, next next month, okay? And uh, in the meantime, we want to wish all of you a great Thanksgiving. Yes. Thank a lot of food. You. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, and, and uh, thanks for tuning in this evening. Uh, Mr. Burden, thank you again for recording, and we'll see all of you in December.